A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's March 20th, 1966. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. In 1966, England managed to both win and lose the FIFA World Cup in the same year. Because <laughs> while the men's football team went on to triumph in the competition later in the year, it was today in history that the World Cup trophy was stolen from its display right under the noses of its guards, only to be rediscovered just under a week later by a dog named Pickles. <laughs> I mean, it feels like a famous five mystery, doesn't it? I, I, I've got to say, before I started researching this, I assumed that it had been stolen after the World Cup. The fact that it was stolen before really recast the whole thing. I thought it was more like, come and look at the trophy we've won. But it was really more like a more British, come and look at the trophy, because it'll be gone soon, yeah. guys. <laughs> and the English FA had had custody of it since January. They'd loaned it out for what's described as a handful of events. Mm. But I can't imagine that they were that discerning, because this particular event was Stampex, a stamp exhibition at the Methodist Central Hall in Westminster. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't seem like the most football-centric event at which to go and see this most hallowed of trophies, the Jules Rimet. But um, the president of FIFA, Stanley Rue, had insisted on certain conditions for the trophy to be transported. One was that it had to be done by a reputable security company. One was that it had to be placed in a locked glass case which would have a guard next to it day and night and another was that the trophy would be insured for 30 grand um, even though it was valued at only 3,000 pounds. I mean it's weird that there was no perception of this as a sporting icon just as a piece of silver and gold. Oh it's worth three grand but insure it for 30. Um, so although it seems weird that then that would translate to stamp exhibit, like there were stamps in that collection that were worth millions and also Central Hall, like it's next to um, Scotland Yard, where the Met Police are based. It's next to the Houses of Parliament. It's yards from the Home Office. That sounds safe, doesn't it? <laughs> and so when the thieves descended on the Central Hall today in history, it actually proved to be a much easier job than anyone could have predicted. The rear door of the hall was held with a wooden bar, but the bar was screwed in with screw heads that were facing outwards, so they just unscrewed the bar <laughs> from the outside. They opened the door and there was nobody there because the, while the guards were posted next to the trophy during opening hours, when the exhibition was closed, they were just walking on patrols of the building. You know, you've got to guard those three million pound stamps, right? Not some 3,000 pound hunk of junk scrap metal. <laughs> uh, so they walked in, they just cut the padlock and took the trophy and, you know, it wasn't alarmed. It didn't have any sophisticated no. laser system around it. They just bolt took cutters. it and yeah. walked Literally back bolt out. cutters. We have a first-person account of what happened next from the guard's perspective because, you know, when an international story breaks, national news outlets naturally search for their connection and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation found theirs in Ottawa man John McLaren's, who at the time had been working <laughs> as a security guard at the exhibition. Uh, he describes the moment he noticed the empty plinth at approximately 10 past 12 noon as eliciting, quote, a nervous chuckle uh, he says, 
In 10 minutes, you could not move. There were hundreds of cops, it seemed like, all over the bloody place. No one knew what was going on. They were running around like a bunch of penguins with their heads cut off. It was crazy. But also the fact that they had checked at 12.10, that's when they noticed, as you say, that the trophy was missing. But the previous run had been at 11 a.m. So the thieves had this full hour-long gap to do what they wanted and seemed to make their way up to the first floor where the trophy was being displayed. They just removed the padlock from the back of the glass to gain entry to the trophy and then taken it and made their getaway. Yeah, I mean, the public, I guess because ultimately nobody was hurt, sort of treated this with a bit of tongue-in-cheek. I mean, (laughs) you'd think it would be a national embarrassment that the World Cup is being held in England and we're the first country where it goes missing when it's on display. Especially after it was, like, kept safe from Hitler during the right. Second World War. There was an official ransom of £4,500 from the sponsors and from FIFA, but the Variety star Tommy Trinder offered a further £1,000 if it was returned to him on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you just got that weird sort of English sense of humour around this event that kind of should be quite serious. Yeah. And the public were trying to chip in and help and find the person that might have stolen it but the description that was given in the newspapers was really confusing because it was clearly an amalgam of two separate descriptions of two clearly different people one was a tall person one was a short person (laughs) so this got blended together in the newspaper reporting of um, you know, a medium-sized person in his late 30s of slim build, around 5'10", with sallow skin and possibly with a scar on his face. Um, and it was just literally like they'd meshed together the two the two different reports of individuals that had been seen, so that was of no use at all. But then, seven days of this nonsense passed. Enter Pickles. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, at the other end of the lead... Of pick- <laughs> <laughs> at the other end of the lead, 26-year-old docker Dave Corbett, who... Can I just say, just a note on living standards, in 1966, this 26-year-old dock worker was able to live in a house in South Norwood with his wife <laughs> and their young child and their dog, just, just on a dock worker's salary. Anyway, oh. he had taken pickles out. <laughs> he noticed the dog pulling towards something that was stowed between his garden hedge and his neighbour's car. It turned out to be a parcel wrapped in paper, and his first thought, understandably for the era, was, shit, an IRA bomb. So mm. he hesitated before he approached, and then when he picked it up and peeled back the paper, he said he spotted a familiar shield. He recognised it straight away as being the missing World Cup. Yeah, he then took it into police and they were unsure whether it was the genuine article. The direct quote is, I slammed it on the desk in front of the sergeant and said, I think I found the World Cup. I remember his words. Doesn't look very World Cuppy to me, son. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, the other thing about the World Cup is that it's not big. It's only about 35 centimetres tall. And I mean, it looks right in the hands of a cup-winning captain holding it aloft. But actually, if you just had it in front of you, it wouldn't be that impressive. (laughs) Well, as soon as they got a sense that actually this might be the thing, they arrested Corbett, (laughs) which I guess you would just for due diligence. But it does seem a bit unlikely that the guy would be coming through saying... Everyone's looking for the bloke who stole the World Cup and a bloke turns up with a World Cup. Yeah, you would arrest him. But, you know, but you'd think that he'd be involved in some sort of a handoff that 
involved an exchange for money rather than just handing it in going, I found this, I don't want it anymore. It would be remiss not to at least take his course, details, absolutely. Say. Yeah. I mean, he could have handed it to Tommy Trinder on stage exactly. for the, for the <laughs> ransom. So when it comes to the question of who did take the World Cup, we do have a good idea, thanks to Tom Pettifor, crime editor of the Daily Mirror, who went public in May 2018 with the results of a 10-month-long investigation. According to him, it was the work of London gangsters Sydney and Reg Cugolari, According to several sources, including Reg's son, Gary, who said that it was Sydney who nicked it, quote, for the thrill. He supposedly walked into the Central Hall wearing a removals man coat and a bag containing his ordinary burglar's kit, including bolt cutters, and was astonished at how easy it was to pull off. Yeah, he said, on the street after coming out the door, Sid lifted his jacket and said, here you are, Reg, look at this. He opened one side of his jacket and the World Cup was there. <laughs> Which is funny, but the better detail is that then they took it home hid it in the coal shed and freaked out. Yeah. Because despite the fact that they were like armed gangsters normally, this thing that they'd just done for laughs, they didn't have an out point on. Yeah. They didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And, and melting it down was not going to be worth that much. I mean, they did actually then get away with it for their whole lives. And Sidney Cugolari died of cancer in 2005, age 79. But one wonderful little detail is that Sidney and Reg, both of these brothers, both had wreaths in the shape of the Jules Rimet trophy at their funerals. And a picture of the World Cup was included in the order of service for Reg's 2012 service. Apparently, Reg's son, who confessed to all of this, said, I gave a florist a picture of the cup. She never asked why, <laughs> which was probably wise on her part. But I just love that well, they you went... just assume football fan, though, wouldn't you? I guess you? so, yeah. You wouldn't think, oh, he's the geezer who stole it in 1966. <laughs> um, so what of Pickles? It was a real launch pad to stardom for him. Um, he became a TV star. He appeared in a film with Eric Sykes called The Spy with a Cold Nose. Uh, he won Dog of the Year and Italian Dog of the Year. <laughs> and he appeared on TV on Blue Peter and Magpie. I think my favourite detail is that after England actually won the World Cup, Pickles and Dave Corbett were invited to the reception at a posh hotel in London to celebrate, and they had to battle their way through the crowds. There was open-top bus tour and all of that, thousands of people standing outside cheering, and Bobby Moore picked up Pickles like the World Cup itself <laughs> to hold him up to the crowd. <laughs> and what of the Jules Rimet trophy? Well, it was stolen again and never recovered uh, when it was in Brazil. Yeah, that was another mystery, and gave rise to a great conspiracy theory too which is that so Brazil had the original trophy as you say they'd had it since 1970 they got it as a reward for winning the World Cup for a third time and FIFA had a new World Cup made but secretly they had also had a replica of the original Jules Rimet in case it was stolen again and when this unauthorised replica went up for auction in 1997, FIFA unexpectedly bid almost a quarter of a million pounds what? to win. That was, that was 10 times the estimate, you know, that was 10 times what it had been estimated to go for, which prompted speculation that the one they'd given Brazil right. had been the replica Whoa. and they had held on to the real one secretly all along. Oh, Although later testing proved that that wasn't the case. Sorry, ruining a great theory. Oh. Ugh, just football swimming with absurd amounts of money. Who knew? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tomorrow. Um, in other words, suddenly the church realised they were too closely related to be married. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.